With each verse, we got better and better. Did you notice that? (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Hey, good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. I want to begin this morning with a classic. A mom is sitting on her back porch. She's watching her little eight-year-old boy play in the backyard. She's reading a book, and she looks in the backyard, and he's playing church. And he's reading the Bible to his cat. And she thinks, wow, isn't that precious? There he is playing church, reading the Bible to the cat. She goes back to her book, and she hears a a tremendous ruckus out in the yard. She looks up just in time to see the little boy trying to put the cat into a bucket of water. She says, Billy, what are you doing? He says, I'm baptizing the cat. He says, you can't baptize a cat. Cats don't like to be put in water. He said, well, he should have thought of that before he decided to join my church. Because there are some expectations and there are some commitments involved when we decide to become a part of a church family. There just are. If we're committed to a church, then we've got to be committed to the mission. You know, I've told you before, Jesus didn't come and establish a church and then decide to give her a mission. He came with a mission. And he has empowered the church to carry out that mission. Our mission is to make and grow disciples. And we don't argue that mission, because that mission came from Jesus himself. So if that's our mission, there are some commitments that we need to either make or renew. There are some commitments that we need to refocus on. You know, last week, I teased you just a little bit um, about the uh, renewed vision for 2020 and beyond that the leadership here has been working on. I want to pull that curtain back just a little bit more this morning and share with you a uh, cog in the wheel, if you will. And it's not the main cog, but it's an important cog. And I'm talking about life groups, small groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them. I'm talking about getting involved in each other's lives on a level that goes beyond, hey, how you doing? Great. See you next week. I'm sure you've all seen the the Volkswagen commercial that's running right now. Shows four different families that are going through the chaos of getting ready in the morning, the the rushing and the brushing and just the wildness that goes on getting ready in the morning, all to the soundtrack of uh, the old Johnny Cash song, These Are My People. They're the ones who will reach for the stars. These are my people. That's my Johnny Cash. And then it ends. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. You're not laughing with me. I know that. I know. Why do you think I'm doing this? It ends with the tagline, there's room for everyone. And, you know, as they all pile into the Volkswagen uh, SUV. And I think, at least I hope, that tagline infers something more than just legroom. Um, this morning, I want to help you find your people. People who are on our team. People who are working alongside us. People that care about us and that we care about. People who are struggling with the same things that we're struggling. People who are working towards the same goals people who have the same mission. And whatever your experience might have been with life groups, whatever your attitude might be concerning small groups, I want you to stay with me this morning. 
because what I want to say I think is important for, for all of us. You know, we talk about being disciples of Jesus. And that means a whole lot more than just knowing things about Jesus. I mean, it's great to know things about Jesus, but if that's where it ends, then that's where it ends. You know, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, then we have to understand what was important to Jesus. We, we've got to live like Jesus lived. We've got to treat people like Jesus treated people. We've got to put our efforts into things that Jesus put his efforts into. We have to be like Jesus if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. So, what did Jesus do? Well, for one, the scriptures say that Jesus worshipped regularly. We're told it was his custom every week to go to worship. We expect you to worship regularly. You need to be worshiping regularly. In other words, you need to be here. Of course, I'm talking to the people who are here, but you need to always be here. We need you here. We expect you here. And then Jesus stayed connected to the Father. You know, Jesus quite often uh, answered people by quoting Scripture. Jesus knew the Word. And the reason he knew the Word because it was he spent time in the Word. Jesus spent a great deal of time in prayer to the Father. You need to be spending time in the Word every day. You need to be in God's Word. You need to make prayer a priority in your life, not an afterthought. You look at the New Testament, and it's pretty obvious that Jesus lived differently. You know, people were always asking Jesus, why do you do that? Or, why don't you do this? Because they looked at his life and they realized there's something different about this guy. He doesn't live like everybody else. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're not going to live like everybody else. And people should notice that we're different. It's not easy to live your life against the grain of society. And then Jesus stayed connected to a small group. He really did. He needed that support. You need that support. And that's why we're convinced if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, that we're going to have to figure out a better way to do life together. Or, put it another way, following Jesus is relational. I heard someone say once, Jesus called single people, but he never called anyone to go solo. And I think that's true. Now, I'm convinced that being a disciple of Jesus is a team sport. It's a group effort. I don't read anywhere in Scripture about a do-it-yourself, figure-it-out-on-your-own, uh, all-alone discipleship plan. One of the great things about Christianity is we're not just called to believe, we are called to belong. I think the greatest blessing in Christ is the fact that we belong. We're part of the movement, part of the mission. We have a place in the kingdom. We're part of the process. You know, if I want to live my life following Jesus, then I need to surround myself with other people who are trying to live their life following Jesus. You know, Jesus was incredibly relational. It wasn't just what he taught, it's how he lived. He was incredibly relational. We as humans, we are incurably relational. We know that about ourselves. Let me show you a picture from the 1950s. Does anyone know what that's a picture of? Yeah. Does anyone younger than 30 know what that's a picture of? 
It's a Tupperware party, yeah, okay? Back in the late 40s, a guy by the name of Earl Tupper invented and patented these little plastic containers to hold food. But he couldn't sell any of them. Nobody would buy them. For one thing, plastic was kind of new in the early 50s. It had been used in the military. It had been used in commercial applications. It had never really been used in the home yet, especially not in the kitchen. And housewives weren't convinced that putting food in plastic was actually safe. In fact, then you had to burp it, you know, to get the air out, to make it work right, and they didn't know how to do that. So a woman by the name of Brownie Wise came up with a very unique marketing strategy, and that was the Tupperware Party. It was a thing back in the 50s and 60s. A bunch of women would get together in each other's homes. They'd talk, they'd get to know each other, they'd have a little snack, they'd play some games, usually something like, you know, putting uh, grape juice in a Tupperware container and throwing it around the room, things like that. And then someone would stand up and expound on all the wonders of this brand new thing called a Tupperware container, and women would place their orders, and that's how they sold their product. And actually, the marketing was genius. It was incredibly successful, and what they found was that what caused the buzz wasn't even the product. It wasn't even the functionality that got all these women excited. It was being together. It was the strategy. It was the power of community. Because human beings are created to be in community. And I can prove it to you in the very first chapter of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God has always existed in community. God has always been a relational being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are the image bearers of God. We were created to thrive and need community. It's, it's in our DNA. We're hardwired to live in relationship with others. That's why when you read the Gospels, the vast majority of the Jesus narrative is Jesus interacting with other people. Now, yes, there were times when he removed himself to, again, connect to the Father, but the vast majority of the Jesus narrative is Jesus interacting with people. We know that. And it's not like Jesus just kind of tolerated other people. And it wasn't like, well, I'm Jesus, so I love all mankind. No, Jesus seemed to genuinely like being around other people. You know, we talk about we need to love like Jesus loved. We need to like like Jesus liked. And I'm not even sure that makes sense, but I hope you know what I'm trying to say. We need to like people. Again, that's what Jesus modeled. It's what he taught. You know, you look at Jesus' teaching. There's two very reoccurring themes to Jesus' teaching. Love God, love people. And one of the ways you sort of prove that you love God is the extent to which you love people. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, he just sort of assumes we're going to do life together. It's just an assumption that Jesus makes, that we're going to be involved in each other's lives. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever preached. 
All through this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of makes the assumption you're going to do life together. Chapter 5, maybe the most famous section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Not one single Beatitude begins, blessed is. Every single Beatitude begins, blessed are. For theirs, for they. Jesus just is assuming you're going to do this thing together. Chapter 5, or chapter 6, the most famous prayer found in the Scriptures, the Lord's Prayer. We all know how it starts. Our Father. The very first thing that Jesus says about prayer is, it's not just about you, it's about the whole family. And have you noticed that every single request in the Lord's Prayer is plural? Give us, forgive us, lead us. Deliver us. What Jesus is saying is when you pray, it's the whole family. Then chapter 7, probably the most quoted verse in the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Jesus is just assuming if you're going to call yourself a follower of mine, you're going to surround yourself with other people. But it even goes deeper than that. Notice what Jesus says in in what I think might be the hardest teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you're only kind to people who are kind to you, If you only like to hang out with people who like to hang out with you, big deal. Anybody can do that. (laughs) What Jesus is saying is, listen, when you do life together, it's going to get messy. And it's going to get complicated. Because life is messy. And life is complicated. I mean, your life's messy, right? Your life's complicated, right? So when we start doing life together, when we start getting involved in each other's lives, yeah, there's going to be some conflict. And and there's going to be some misunderstandings. And there's going to be some differences of opinions. And I guarantee there's going to be some difficult personalities to deal with. But I think one of the main reasons why we miss out on the community that we all read about and, and in our hearts we really want... I think one of the main reasons we miss out on it so often is we have fallen into that mindset that everything we do goes through the lens of, am I going to like this? Am I going to like doing this? What's in it for me? We have been so trained to be consumers, even in the church. And why'd you choose that church? I like the preacher. I like the music. I like the programs. What happens when the preacher leaves? What happens when the music changes? What happens when the programs stop? Oh, I don't like that. Now I've got to go find another church that I like. And what that produces is churches that are trying really hard to make you happy so you don't leave. And we sacrifice love for each other in the name of doing what we like. And I can prove this to you. 
And every single person here that's married is going to understand what I'm about to say. If you're not married, or if one day you want to be married, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But you might as well hear it. Plus, Martha's out of town this week, so it's easier for me to say it. I've been married for 37 years. I love my wife. But there have been days when I didn't like her. And she will tell you the same thing about me. We haven't stayed together because we like everything about each other all the time. We've stayed together because we made a promise. Jesus is trying to build a society. He's trying to create a community of people who come together and who stay together even when it gets tough even when it's not easy, because they made a promise. I want to put this on the screen because I want to make sure that you get it. What binds us together is not our sameness. What binds us together is our oneness. I'm sure you've heard that before. It's not original with me, but it is so true. What binds us together is not our sameness. Look around. We're not the same. (laughs) We don't look the same. We don't like the same things. We don't do the same things. We don't vote the same way. We don't cheer for the same teams. We're very different. But in Christ Jesus, we are one. And in Christ Jesus, we are family. Because we've made a promise. We've made a promise to God, and we've made a promise to each other, and that is the only way this thing works. We are all sinners, desperate in need of grace. So we come together around a table. Even though we're not very much alike, we can promise to love. And I need way too much grace in my life to dare not give grace to you. That's what Jesus came to build. And he didn't just talk about it. He actually trained people for it. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve designating them apostles, that they might be with him. As you read through the gospel, the majority of Jesus' discipleship making was in small group ministry. Jesus invested heavily into his small group, those 12 individuals. And i got to believe Jesus knew what he was doing. Now, he could do the crowds, for sure, The Sermon on the Mount, that was a crowd. Feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, those were crowds. He taught in the temple, he taught in the synagogues. Those those were different sized crowds. He sent the 70 out two by two. He appeared to over 500 at once uh, after his resurrection. Yeah, Jesus could do the big crowd, but he spent most of his discipling efforts on the 12. And here's the irony. Most churches including ours, has reversed that order. We spend an awful lot of energy on the big crowd and not nearly as much on the small group. And we try to disciple people in a a big building, sitting in rows, instead of a smaller setting, sitting in circles. The early church they discipled one another 
in circles. And they did it for a couple reasons. One, that's what Jesus did. That's what they saw Jesus do. And two, they didn't have a big building. They weren't as affluent as we are. I mean, they couldn't justify that kind of cost. So when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome, or when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, it wasn't delivered to a big building where they all got together once a week and a preacher stood up and read the letter. It was circulated amongst a group of believers meeting in individual homes all over the city. And for centuries, that's how the church functioned. But I think over the years, we've sort of made the mistake into deluding ourselves to thinking that being together equals being connected. You know, I see you across the, the, the auditorium once a week, so we're connected. No, we're not. We're together, but we're not very connected. And you can know everybody's name in this room, but if you don't know their story, you're really not connected to them. And that does not happen sitting in rows. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love the big room. I love the crowd. I love what happens here. I love the fact that we worship and praise God together. We encourage each other. I love the energy. I love the singing. It's important. I've already said you need to be here. But if we're going to be serious about making disciples, then we've got to do life together at the level that Jesus did and the level he taught and the level that he expected. And we've got to quit asking ourselves, what is it that I like? And start asking ourselves, what is it that's going to make disciples and help disciples to grow? And that really has been the uh, kind of the springboard and the focus of this renewed vision that I keep teasing you with that you're going to hear about at the end of next month. Leadership has gotten together and said, listen, what do we need to do to make disciples? We're convinced that a large piece of that puzzle, a large part of that process, getting involved in each other's lives on a deeper level, we're convinced that life groups, small groups, community groups, are going to play a big part in that, to facilitate and promote the kind of transformation, the kind of discipling that we read about in the New Testament. Now, we're not getting rid of these moments, for sure, but we're going to be very insistent that your best spiritual investment for 2020 and beyond is to get involved in a small group. To become more like Jesus, we're going to have to find our people. And we're going to have to spend time with our people. And then we're going to have to find people who don't know Jesus and invite them in to be introduced to Jesus, spend time with them. But that kind of community does not happen by accident. You will not stumble into those kinds of relationships got to be intentional. you got to welcome it. you got to pursue it. We want to be aggressive in helping you find a more intimate community. And I hope when you walked in the foyer today, I hope you noticed that sign that was hanging in the foyer. If you didn't notice that sign, I want you to be really careful driving home today. Because <laughs> you are not very observant. But there's a sign in the foyer, there's that sign. Introducing an informational meeting next 
Sunday morning, not today, but a week from today during the 10 o'clock Bible class time where we are going to share some thoughts and some um, ideas about a renewed focus on our life groups here at Bay Area. It's not in place of our regular classes. Okay, Regular classes are going to meet like they always do. But if you have any interest in hearing about, uh, if you've been thinking about questions about life groups, we're going to ask you for one week to step away from your regular class and join us in the Family Life Center. Now, I understand that this is going to be a little bit disruptive to our adult classes, and let me apologize for that sincerely. There's quite a bit of discussion on whether we want to disrupt a class like that. But the conclusion was, this is just so important to who we want to be. And we're doing small groups now, but we've got to get better. And there was such a discussion, this is who we want to be, that we want to share this information during a prime time. And really, the 10-hour Bible class time is, is kind of the prime time. So, you know, we're going to invite you to come. You'll be able to ask some questions. If you have any interest, you notice on the sign I put uh, no commitment necessary yet. Uh, go to that meeting, uh, uh, that informational meeting next uh, Sunday at 10. No commitment there, but we're going to be asking for a commitment in the future. And listen, please don't tell me. I tried small groups once and I had a bad experience. So have I. Okay, so have all of us. Right? Can we be honest? Everybody that's ever been in a small group has had a bad experience with a small group. Okay. I have too. But I will still tell you that some of my greatest spiritual awakenings have occurred in what you would call a small group. And some of my greatest burden-bearing and burden-sharing has taken place on somebody else's couch in somebody else's house in a group of people that know me and care about me. We don't stop doing what Jesus tells us to do because it's hard. Following Jesus with other people, it's not easy. But following Jesus all by yourself, it's not possible. We pay a high price when we put a low priority on community. Let me wind up with story. True story. Uh, written by a minister from Toronto, Canada. We've got some visitors from Canada here today. This, this minister realized that in his church, the back door seemed to be as busy as the front door was. In other words, people were coming to his church, but they were leaving almost as fast. And he realized something had to be done. And so he got in touch with the last 12 people that were baptized in that church, the last you know, 12 brand new Christians, he invited them to his home for a meal. They all agreed to come. After the meal, he said, do you want me to tell you the future? He said, okay, yeah, sure, tell us the future. Statistically speaking, five years from now, one of you is going to go through a divorce and you're going to leave the church because of it. Statistically speaking, one of you is going to go through a personal tragedy and you're going to turn your back on God, and you're going to leave the church. Five years from now, statistics say that three of you will have some kind of conflict with somebody in the church, and you'll quit attending. 
Two of you are going to have a moral failing, and you won't come back. Two of you are just going to sort of drift off. We're not sure what's happened to you, but you're just going to lose interest and disappear. Statistics say that five years from now, only two of you will still be attending church, only one of you at this church. These are brand new Christians, right? You know, excited about their, you know, brand new walk with Jesus. Pretty depressing. Finally, one of them speaks up and says, uh, is there any way we can change those statistics? I said, yeah. Get in a group together and decide you're not going to let single one go. And that's exactly what they did. These 12 relative strangers got together started meeting together and supporting each other through tragedies and divorces and conflicts and failings. Five years later, they were still together. Where do you want to be in five years? Meeting with the same group? (laughs) Maybe not. Come to the meeting. Where do you want to be in five years? I hope five years from now I can look back with gratitude of brothers and sisters who have helped me through maybe some tough times and who have allowed me to get real and and personal with my life and in theirs. And I hope five years from now I can look back and there's somebody that that I've helped in that same way. Hope in five years I can look back and say, you know, there's some people that I've I've been involved with in, in helping them grow as a Christian, helping them become a Christian. Sermons like this, they are easy to listen to. They're really hard to put into practice because we're talking about a commitment. It is so much easier to sit in a row, smile, nod, maybe even take notes, come back next week, do the same thing. But what did Jesus do? What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus expect? He expected us to be disciples who make disciples. He expected us to be followers of his, fishers of men. I want you to be prayerfully considering that uh, informational meeting next week. If you're in a group, God bless you. We're going to help you, and we're going to support you more than we have in the past. If you've considered it, God bless you. Be with us next Sunday. But for today, maybe there's something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of your church family, the people that love you, something that you need to share with us in a public way. If we can help you, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium here, and you can meet us there. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.